I'm Capriya Johnson, and you are listening to The Leadership Podcast, where we delve into the stories, strategies, and insights of experienced leaders who have successfully navigated the challenges and triumphs of their journey. Get ready to be inspired, equipped, and empowered to lead with confidence and purpose. It is now my pleasure and privilege to introduce our speaker for today. Dr. Kim Tartaglia is a professor of internal medicine and a professor in pediatrics, and she's our famed director of mentorship. So we think she's awesome and special. So go ahead and start sharing yours. Great. Thanks, Debbie and Emma, and thank you to everyone for having me. As Debbie said, I'm the director of mentorship for FAME, um, and I uh, was recently promoted to professor in both the departments of internal medicine, and then I have a sort of an adjunct appointment in uh, pediatrics. I do hospital-based medicine and pediatrics. Um, both here and at Nationwide Children's, whether you are doing, you know, sort of just dipping your toe into this mentorship realm, or you're an experienced mentee or mentor, I hope to kind of give an overview of some of the topics that could be important to you so that everyone has a little something to take away. Um, I also hope that this will whet your appetite for future fame programming and mentorship, because many of the topics that I'm going to cover briefly will um, over the next you know, six to 12 months be a topic in and of its own. So um, please sort of notice that as you um, are thinking about what other programming you might need. Really just a few basic objectives for today, talk about the different types of mentorship, the roles that um, you're expected to play either as a mentee or a mentor, um, and then some tips for establishing good relationships within mentorship. So I'm gonna talk about a tale of two faculty, um, the details of which are mostly true, but have been uh, changed a little bit to protect the innocent. So faculty member A started off as an assistant professor in 2008, quickly identified themselves as a clinician educator and within one to two years had involvement in educator roles. This person found a mentor within the institution, but also kept in touch with a mentor from the previous institution, was promoted um, via the work they did and the networking they accomplished to associate professor in 2016 and a professor in 2021. Contrast that with faculty B, who was also an assistant professor who started in 2008, also was involved with an educator roles within the first two years, had no formal mentor, through their expertise was able to ascend the ladder for educational leadership locally, um, but in 2021 remains an assistant professor. So I will tell you that I'm convinced that faculty B works just as hard as faculty A and is just as talented. And while I can't say that mentorship is the only thing that led to faculty A success, I think a little bit of luck and a lot of great mentorship played a huge role. And so this for me is kind of the burning platform um, for why we need mentors and why mentors can improve both the quality and the success of our academic careers. When we talk about mentorship, we're often talking about that dyadic mentorship where there's one mentor and one mentee. And in this definition, um, which comes from UCSF, mentorship is a mutually beneficial process in which an experienced, highly regarded person, the mentor, exchanges wisdom ideas to guide another individual, the mentee. This is all done for the development and reexamination of ideas, learning and development, both personally and professionally. And so you can think about the benefits of mentoring. And when we do that, we often think about the benefits to the mentee. I think that's where we naturally 
our minds are inclined to think about. And certainly we have studies to suggest that for academic clinicians, mentorship improves career satisfaction, leads to more research grants, leads to quicker promotion as the examples I showed, and leads to increased protected time for scholarly activities and publications. When you look at public, uh, mentorship more globally outside of academic medicine, there's also good literature to suggest that it improves self-efficacy for teaching, research, and professional development, and actually less family work conflicts. So there you have it, folks. Mentorship will solve all your family problems at home. But we also have to think about the benefits to the mentor, because as the definition suggested, this is a mutually beneficial relationship. And so while this isn't exhaustive, being a mentor helps you build your leadership skills, can help you gain new perspective because learning occurs in all directions. And so certainly mentors report learning from their mentees. Being a mentor can help motivate your own goal setting as a mentor, because you get reminded that goal setting for your mentee, what's good for your mentee is also good for you as a mentor. Being a mentor helps improve communication skills, can improve your own job satisfaction and fulfillment, and also helps not only personally, but organizationally to improve succession planning. Now, there are definitely... Um, we talked about the definition of mentor, but we can also talk about other roles that kind of fall in this mentorship realm. One of them is just being a role model. And so while this is a passive role, kind of a mentee often tries to emulate observable and desirable behaviors in a potential mentor. And so this is often who a potential mentee looks to, to be their mentor. Certainly, you know, of coach. And in this um, setting, we think about athletic coaches, um, where, you know, a coach provides feedback and assistance to improve performance and specific tasks for skills that can also translate to academic medicine or the academic environment um, and can be very situational or project focused. And then you can use kind of the true coaching mindset to really listen and kind of provide more client-centered goal setting as well. And I'll talk later about how that can be applied to mentorship. And then there's this idea of a sponsor. So as a sponsor, as opposed to a mentor, doesn't get so in the weeds with goals of their mentees, but really looks to champion the individual um, and use their position of influence to promote someone else's career. So I often think of this as, you know, if I'm sponsoring someone, I'm promoting them in a national meeting or in a national organization, I'm promoting them for a leadership role or an award within or outside the institution, really helping advance their career, um, using any influence I might have um, for my, you know, national reputation or what have you. Um, but not so much in the nitty gritty as what a mentor would do. And then within the, the concept of mentoring itself, there's all different types of anatomies or relationships you can have within mentoring. So we already talked about the dyad, the more traditional mentoring with one mentor and one mentee. Um, but graduate students or even postdocs may be more experienced, have more experience with group mentoring. This is where, you know, a mentee has a panel of mentors that collectively serve the needs um, of the mentee. There are many studies talking about peer mentoring. I think that's a very accessible way for someone of a similar rank or experience to share feedback with their peers. This concept of speed mentoring is where you can meet several potential mentors within a night um, or in a quick event. Fame had a, a speed mentoring program um, activity just before COVID started, but I, I often see this at national meetings um, where you might be interested in meeting people for potential distance mentoring. And then um, not an anatomic relationship, but this idea of functional mentoring in which you might have a project, again, a mentor for just a specific project, which has a well-defined end. At the University of Wisconsin, they talk about the stages of mentorship. And I think this is a really nice way to frame it, 
in your mind that, you know, um, you start with sort of the selection process, and then you spend most of your time as a mentor mentee pair moving through both alignment and cultivation of the relationship and then realizing that all a mentorship relationship should not last forever. And once the goals are met or it's no longer meeting the needs of the mentee and the mentor, then closure happens both for the mentor and the mentee. What are some resources that you might utilize and what are the steps in selecting a mentor with any selection? You think about what do you need to have a productive mentorship? And sort of here are some suggested sort of concepts or kind of things to keep in mind. Um, you, can, you do need a personal connection in which you think that values might drive together. Um, you need clear expectations, shared values as far as um, what's important to you uh, professionally and even sometimes personally, and then mutual respect. And then in the mentoring relationship, you move to alignment where you're really looking to align goals um, and timelines, expectations. Um, for both the mentor and the mentee. Sometimes you, this is the phase where you realize that there's a potential misalignment um, where mentoring either isn't going to be a good fit or, or isn't working for the mentor or the mentee. Some signs that that might be happening are that either you as the mentee or the mentor dread going to meetings or repeatedly cancel meetings. If you repeatedly miss up, miss follow through on items. If the mentor is doing most of the talking and directing the meeting, um, that may be a bad fit because really this relationship is supposed to be mentee-driven. Um, or if the mentor takes credit for the mentee's work. Um, in any type of predatory mentoring relationship, it's definitely not a good fit um, for the mentee and is a sign that they should move on. Some signs of a good fit would be kind of a shared sense of curiosity and teamwork. A mentor who moves the mentee towards independence, so fosters that independence so that they can um, do things with less assistance, a mentor who publicly advocates for their mentee, and a mentee who feels that they have a sense of belonging. During the cultivation phase, this is probably the longest part of the mentoring relationship. And again, here's where you're really kind of doing the meat of um, goal setting with the mentor and helping the men mentee, I'm sorry, to reach their goals. Um, and so this could be during this time, problems can come up, whether there be differences and expectations or challenges that have come up for the mentee, um, making sure that the relationship still is productive and, and uh, beneficial for all involved. Um, but this is really where the meat of the, the relationship occurs. And then, as I mentioned before, closure, either because it's not working or it's reached its intended outcome. So now I'm just talking about specifically if you're in the role of mentee or you're looking to become a mentee and find a mentor, what are some things you can do or take into consideration to make this successful for you? So in 2017, the Harvard Business Review talked about kind of what you need to do when you identify and approach your potential mentor. And I think it really comes down to knowing what you need. And so as a potential mentee, you have to think about what are your needs globally? And then what are they on a more specific micro level? So more globally, you know, reflect on your personal and professional needs. Do you have trouble with balance? And would you like your mentor to potentially advise you on that? Um, do you have some emotional wellness needs that you'd like your advisor or mentor to uh, assist with? Are there professional boundary considerations that you need help with? And then consider both your one-year and your five-year goals. And, and so in doing that, when you think about those larger scale needs, that might help you identify and narrow down your list of potential mentors. And then more specifically, think about what do you need? Do you need assistance on leading teams? Or do you need assistance on writing grants, finding funding? 
Um, do you need assistance on teaching or managing budgets? And so specifically to your role, could you identify potential mentors that fit this need? And although we're not talking about it a lot today, it is perfectly advisable and fine to have more than one mentor um, to fit more than one of these needs. So um, whether you have a panel of mentors who meet together and you meet with them in a group, or more typically you have dyadic mentorships where you as the mentee meet with this mentor one week and you meet with another mentor another week, that they're fulfilling different needs for you as the mentee. But it requires you to think about what your needs are before approaching a potential mentor. And then assuming you again have a say in who your mentor is, you should be assigned, you know, asking someone that you like, respect, and trust. We talked about those shared values. Um, and someone who maybe you look up to or has either personal and professional attributes that are congruent with yours. If you're in a position where you're getting assigned a mentor, this article recommends that you do a meet and greet before you formalize the relationship just to make sure that um, you don't have any red flags or obvious signs of misalignment before you start. And so what are some other successful mentee behaviors? Really being enthusiastic and energetic for your projects or whatever you're working on. Taking responsibility, owning that you are the driver of this relationship. And so if you go into that with that in mind, I could tell you the, the few mentees I have, the people who drive the mentee-mentor relationship are the ones that are getting the most out of it. Respecting the meeting's time and respecting your mentor's time. Coming prepared and organized for the meetings. That is a part of being the driver, um, having an agenda of what you'd like to talk about, what you'd like to accomplish, following through on your post-meeting action items, and then giving the mentor adequate time to provide feedback. Of course, we all know that mentors are notorious for uh, maybe taking a little too much time, so gentle reminders are fine, <laughs> but giving them uh, time and space. And then being proactive and identifying and presenting any issues or barriers. So if you notice a particular problem, either with the mentor or the project you're working on, bringing those up early and often um, before they escalate into something bigger. Well, interestingly enough, um, the first time I was a mentor, I wasn't sure when someone came to me and asked me to be their mentor that I was ready or that I was qualified, really. Um, and so if you feel the need to formally assess your readiness to be a mentor, um, I did come across this article that has kind of a couple of questions that you can reflect on as you're preparing to be a mentor or you've been asked. Um, and really, this is just, do I have the ability? So this talks a little bit about the knowledge or do I have the connections either to get my mentee um, connected with leaders, to give them feedback? Do I have the knowledge of the organization? Um, can I get can I get them into projects or activities that will be beneficial to their career, to their goals that they've set for themselves. So some of that is kind of assessing the ability, but I think just as much it's about um, thinking about your commitment and your willingness. So some of those things that do you have the time and energy to put into this relationship? Um, are you willing to, you know, sort of sit down with them, help give feedback and help your mentee learn from their mistakes? Um, can you be honest with them? Can you sh share your own story or your own successes and failures? You know, obviously we talked about some of the benefits of mentoring, but if you have any um, concerns that either this isn't a good fit or that I'm not quite ready or don't have the time, then maybe I should hold off on doing that at this point. So it's worth thinking about those because again, these are sort of the expectations, basic expectations of a mentor. And then, you know, certainly a number of tips that I think many of you have already come up with. 
One is um, kind of some attributes. So being honest, non-judgmental, being willing to work on developing a relationship, being willing to be accessible and follow through on the things that you said you'd do for your mentee or feedback you'd give them. And then being transparent about credit for collaborative work is a must. Certainly the behaviors that you can use to really help that relationship thrive is helping the mentee identify their strengths and capitalize on them, brainstorming with them, whether they need you know, time management tips, priority, priority balancing, or other um, ideas, offering assistance that aligns with their best interests. So not, not offering assistance that aligns with your best interests, but theirs. Um, and then protecting them from what's termed disopportunities. So if you think that this you know, opportunity is gonna suck your mentee's time with not a lot of um, benefits for them personally, kind of helping them consider and, and weigh the costs and benefits of that opportunity that may not be helpful for them. So as I mentioned before, I have an interest in coaching and really using coaching um, mindset to guide mentorship. Um, and what that really means is kind of um, acknowledging that the mentee is the true driver of the relationship, as I said before, because the mentee is an expert in their needs. So while as a mentor, you might be an expert in your field or in the organizational culture, knowing and empowering the mentee to identify their needs and sort of come up with ideas and goals to meet those needs, I think is one of the most important things you can do as a mentor. Um, so with that, the mentee should really be driving the goal setting, especially if you're taking a coaching approach. And as a mentor, you really use the active listening and reflection to guide the conversation and help them um, realize their goals. The mentor, As a mentor, you can use brainstorming, as we talked about, to help mentees come up with solutions. Um, and you can share expertise and wisdom with them, but you sort of explicitly acknowledge when you're going to put your expert hat on and say, this is you know, my experience, this is my advice, versus asking and kind of encouraging the mentee to come up with their own solutions to problems. Of course, I find this useful, not just with mentees, but with patients. And we've all talked about and learned about active listening. Um, but reminding myself before I'm, I'm meeting with a mentee about sort of the tenets of active listening has been proven beneficial for me. So really taking that neutral, non-judgmental stance to whatever they're saying, whatever they want to talk about, um, being okay with silence and being patient so to let the mentee work through and say what they need to say, what they need to update on, um, giving them both verbal and nonverbal signs that I'm truly listening to them and I'm engaged and I'm not checking email or looking at my phone during our meetings, asking questions, but then reflecting on what they say, asking for clarification and then summarizing kind of the, the wrap up of the meeting. And all of that sort of reminds me of this quote from Steven Spielberg that says, the delicate balance of mentoring someone is not creating them in your own image, but giving them the opportunity to create themselves. And so just encouraging you as a mentor to really allow this, the mentee to drive the relationship in that regard. So I'm going to finish up with some practical considerations for mentoring. So the sample first meeting comes out of Emory, and I really like just kind of a framework for what to expect. Um, Typically, I schedule the first meetings with a mentee for one hour, and I get the, some information from the mentee ahead of time. So if I don't already have it, at the minimum, a copy of their CV. During that first meeting, discuss expectations, both their expectations of our relationship and mine. Usually, if they have a chance, they can have already filled out a worksheet or thought about some of their strengths, weaknesses, career trajectory, one- and five-year goals. 
But if you feel like that would be best done in person in the meeting, that's a time to do that during that first meeting. Reviewing mentees promotion and tenure documents. So many mentees have very little experience and find this an intimidating part of their professional career. And so just reviewing those documents and aligning them with their own goals. And then as we kind of talked about, after you go over their strengths, weaknesses, talking about both short and intermediate term goals. So whether that be the six to one month or six month to one year goals, and then more the three to five year goals. And then another fun activity that I feel is a really great conversation starter with mentees is to ask them to go through and generate four lists. Think about what they're doing now that they want to quit. So what are they doing professionally or sometimes personally that's not adding any value to their lives? Think about what they've just been asked to do that they'd like to say no to. Think about what they're not doing now that they'd like to start doing. So assuming that there's some things they can give up, what would that make room for that would be really meaningful to them in their career? What are they doing now that they want to continue doing? And then where is there a mismatch in this list? Is there something that we need to do to improve the balance so that they can actually accomplish everything on this list? And then before you wrap up that first meeting, some logistics that need to be discussed include kind of how often are you going to meet, where or how are you going to meet, whether it be in person for coffee or over Zoom. Certainly, depending on the role that you're serving, these could be monthly meetings or for more just sort of general faculty career mentorship. I typically have them quarterly, Um, but decide based on your mentee's needs and your availability, how often you're going to meet and how. Are you going to follow a specific agenda each time or are you going to ask the mentee to just come with an open agenda? Are they going to send it to you ahead of time? How are you going to prioritize your topics? Um, How are you going to communicate between meetings? So are you going to do email follow-up on the items you discussed? Um, Are they, you know, do they have your phone to call you anytime they want? Um, Or do you prefer they email you with any problems or issues that come up? And then how are you going to organize your meetings going forward? What tools do you need to keep your mentee organized? So often when we talk about mentoring grad students, postdocs, researchers, um, there's the recommended individualized development plan. And I would say if you've seen one IDP, you've seen one IDP. I've looked at about 10 different um, institutions' IDPs, and they all are slightly different but accomplish the same goal. But I would encourage you on the the URL is idpsciencecareers.org. And that is a more interactive website that can take you through um, a web-based IDP and and it looks really cool. But really, an individualized development plan is really just an opportunity within the various domains related to your mentee. What are um, the goals they have? What kind of educational activities do they need to do related to that goal? What kind of research are they doing? What are their benchmarks for completion of a research project? And what are the targeted dates? And so you can, again, modify these, um, or your mentee can modify these to fit your needs, depending on their role. And then for the meetings, you know, I certainly like to take notes as as the mentor, um, and having kind of a worksheet to organize those notes can be really useful to access them kind of prior to each subsequent meeting. Um, And you could sort of put them in. You may be mentoring your mentee on all the different domains, research, teaching, clinical, or maybe one specific area. And so you could kind of make your subheadings to meet with, uh, meet your needs. But with each of them, you can talk about their accomplishments since our last meeting, what are any obstacles or barriers they've had? Do they need a strategy to overcome those? And then in general, are they making progress to this, to, to their goal? Have they met their goal or are they stalled? And so it's just a quick way to organize um, what you've discussed and what they're working on 
Um, so that, again, when you do your follow-up action items, either between meetings or at the next meeting, um, you have something to build on. So just to summarize, you know, I hope that kind of this kind of overview of various mentorship needs kind of helped convince you that mentorship enhances both the careers of mentees and mentors. The Leadership Podcast is produced by The Ohio State University's Office of Faculty Affairs. For more information, visit us at faculty.osu.edu. I'm your host, Capriya Johnson. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.